Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Arik, and it's great to be with you here today. And today, which is the third of the Hebrew month of Tammuz, and it marks the 26th yard site, the passing of, since the passing of the Rebbe. And personally, I remember the Rebbe. I was a child, I was close to my bar mitzvah when this day, when this occurred. And I want to share with you some life lessons from the Rebbe that I feel is the best thing we can do on such an important day. And recently, I had the privilege to go through various letters, correspondence. You know, the Rebbe's outreach, the scope of his correspondence with people was legendary. And to date, there are more than 30 volumes of Igrat Kodesh, the letters, more than 10,000 letters that have been published that he wrote to people, communication. Now, I know that there must be hundreds, if not thousands more, because personal private letters were not published, only those that people gave permission, I'm not exactly sure what the system was, but I know that there are this correspondence, for example, between my parents and the Rebbe that have not been published. So these are letters that have been published, and that's just a small portion, or just, in, or just a sampling of the Rebbe's interaction. And I think if we could go through a few of those letters today, in honor and merit of the Rebbe, I think we could all gain a tremendous amount to learn from the, from, from the Rebbe from this perspective. And the letters I'm going to look at are addressed to people from literally all walks of life, from world leaders to kindergarten teachers, and from scientists to teenagers. I'm going to read a few of them, share the insights and messages, the lessons for life that I think we could all gain from, because these letters, they contain profound Torah scholarship, as well as personal advice on the most basic struggles of life. And I find in my life, although the letters that the Rebbe would write to an individual were specifically for that individual, but I think, and sometimes you could see a different perspective when, you know, in different scenarios, in different situations, but still the messages and lessons that we can learn from this are, are, are definitely lessons that just a moment, are definitely lessons that we could, that are relevant, that we could learn from, that will make a big difference in our own lives, and I think appropriate for us to talk about today. And as one discovers, the Rebbe's approach to the different aspects, you know, it runs much deeper than one might expect. When addressing issues such as how a person should choose a career or what to do about feelings of loneliness, the Rebbe's counsel would often draw from not only Torah wisdom, but also a certain sensitivity to the individual and looking at their circumstance, which is something that I personally, you know, it's, it's obviously the right thing to do in, in one's rabbinic uh, responsibilities. And this is something that I want to share with you today. So when we come back, that's what we're going to do is look at some of these letters and glean some insights. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. 
and we are live. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. The first letter I want to share with you is a letter from Hanukkah 1944. That's before the Rebbe took on the mantle of the Chabad leadership, six years before. And he refers to a very personal experience and the life lesson from this letter, I think, is very, very powerful. Let me share with you the letter as it's written. My esteemed and honored friend, Mr. Dove Fedber. Greetings and blessings. Your letter awakened memories of the time that we were together in Vichy and Nice, each of us under living conditions to which we were unaccustomed. When a person is uprooted from their habitual environment until such time that they become accustomed to the new conditions and requirements, there come to light certain traits of their inner character as they are in the purity, undistorted by the expectations of society. Often these traits reveal hidden virtues of the person, virtues that have been hidden even from themselves under the layers of manners and social conventions. In such cases, fortunate is the person who does not allow these traits to disappear when they subsequently settle down and find tranquility. Now, just to unpack this letter a little bit, you know, after the Nazis rose to power in the early 1930s, the Rebbe and his wife, Rebbe Tzanchai Mushka, were living then in Berlin at the time. So they moved to Paris, France, when the Nazis took over Germany. When the Nazis invaded France, in 1940, the Rebbe and Rebetzin then fled on one of the last trains leaving Paris. And for the next 12 months or so, the Rebbe and his wife were refugees in Vichy. That's in southern France. And it was governed by Nazi collaborators, actually. So, though constantly on the run with the ever-present danger of Jews trying to survive in Nazi Europe, the Rebbe was working tirelessly to help many of his fellow refugees in this struggle to survive. And finally, after tremendous effort from the previous Rebbe, who escaped from Warsaw already in early 1940, the Rebbe and his wife were able to then leave from France, and that was much later in 1941 and arriving in New York actually a few days ago was the anniversary of that in the 28th of Sivan June 1941 so this letter that I was reading was written just that was 1941 1944 three years later to someone who obviously from the context of this letter we could see was together with the Rebbe in France and the Rebbe recalls their shared experience, they were refugees together as we see in the letter he writes we were uprooted from our habitual environment, from what we were used to and as he describes, thrust into living conditions to which we were unaccustomed now, does reading this letter, as I read it and I ask myself, does the description sound familiar? Is it just a situation in Nazi Europe? Or can we think of our current situation? Now, obviously, there are many things in the refugees' experience that thankfully don't apply to us 
as we are lucky here in living in South Africa under our comfortable conditions, not as refugees, but there are also certain elements that definitely, certainly I could relate to here. Many of us are feeling out of our element, disoriented, confused by the sudden change in our lives. And let's look at what does it say in Pirkei Avot? What does Hillel say? Don't separate from the community. And I think when we think of this letter, we see that here's a situation where everyone is going through this difficulty together. How did Aristotle famously put it? The human being is by nature a political animal. Now, that was... Aristotle, who was a Greek philosopher. Rambam actually quotes this statement from Aristotle in his work, Maranavuchim. And he says, you know, a lot of people are famous with, uh, there's uh, an English poet who says this, no man is an island to themselves. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. Any man's death diminishes me because I'm involved in mankind. So perhaps nowhere is this idea as powerfully emphasized than in Jewish life. Because we realize as a community, we think of what's going on during this pandemic, how there's a certain unity in the community. We look after people who have been hurt last night I had the privilege, and today there are many more opportunities, to be part of events that unite our community. This were, these were events for the Rebbe's yard site, but certainly there are events every day that you and I have the chance of participating. Right here on Chai FM, we had the chance to unite, and people going on Zooms, and people having every opportunity possible. So we have the opportunity to unite, and as much as the we're not in war-torn Europe, but we could relate to this in our own way. And we'll discuss this tomorrow when we're back. IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. And we have been talking about how, as a community, we come together and what we could glean from this letter of the Rebbe. And I just think here, our social connections... You think about our extended families, our workplaces, our communities, even our casual interactions with strangers plays a major role in nurturing our well-being, our productivity. And little wonder then that when all that is taken from us, we feel lost, we feel disoriented. A major component of our community is lacking. And when we could realize and tap into this particular letter, the inside of the Rebbe, where he believed that whatever situation in which we find ourselves in, we should always seek out the positive. So while, yes, we're in a different situation now and we can't be socially connected and many people are seeing this in a negative way, and it's true, there is the negative aspect. But can we not see the positive side too? Community and society not only provide us with fellowship and support, they also make certain demands of us. And sometimes these demands are 
beneficial. They push us to do our best. And sometimes they have the opposite effect. Suppressing what's best in us, intimidating us from fully expressing our values and potentials. Let me share with you a story. There was a businessman who, in, in back in Russia, and his business took him to various large cities throughout the country. I'm talking a good over a century ago. But he would travel throughout Europe, various countries, constantly going to different places for business. And as time went by, he was becoming less comfortable in the environments where he was going, looking like a chassid. You know, he was wearing his, his chassidic garb, his chassidic hat. So he started to pretend to look more like everyone else. And of course, though, being a devout Jew and a chassid, he used to go to his Rebbe, who was Rabbi Menachem Mendel, the third Lubavitch Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek. And one day he came to Lubavitch, to the Rebbe, dressed not in his Hasidic garb, but rather in his business attire. And the Rebbe looked at him and said, you know, he, he said to the Rebbe, the Rebbe asked him, like, well, you know, what is this? You, you look different. He says, you know, I decided to put an end to this hypocrisy of, of, of pretending to be dressed like a Hasidic Jew. He says, this is how I dress when I travel in my business. So why should I pretend to be otherwise when I come to visit you. Listen to what the Rebbe said to him. He said, do you think that I wasn't aware that you dress differently when you go to Leipzig or Paris than when you come here to meet with me in the shul? But I thought that here you're showing your true self. And there you're pretending to be someone else. It's There's a profound message here. You know, peer pressure and community standards and social conventions and all those matters, they work both ways. They could support our best instincts and, and provide us an environment that we could flourish, but they also suppress our best instincts and sometimes constrain our growth. We might pick a career that's more in line with what society admires than with our true abilities, than with our calling. We might hold back on our spiritual growth because maybe we're intimidated, we're embarrassed or shy of what others might think of us. So what we need to do is find the right balance between our social and our deeper inner selves. As Hillel famously said in Perkyavas as well, we've quoted before, right? On the one hand, don't separate from the community. But he also said, If I'm only for myself, yeah, who's, for, if, sorry, if I'm not, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? But if I'm only for myself, then what am I? On the one hand, if I'm not for myself, who is for me, right? Don't let others define who you are, who I am. What you do with your life. And at the same time, only you can discover your true strengths, your, your purpose in life. So that's one perspective. But we also have to realize, if I'm only for myself, if we become self-centered, if we only think about our own needs, then what am I? 
You need assistance. You need partnership. There's others in our lives as well, whether it's our family and children or friends, not to neglect or forget others in our lives. We talk about social distancing. Maybe that's the wrong word. Maybe it's physical distancing. Socially, we should be connected. So, and what about guidance and advice from others? We can't just be an island to ourselves. So, if we can tap into our community, and yes, connect with society, not just be there for ourselves. The Baal Shem Tov taught that the letters, you know, if you just look at the letters, A, B, C, right? The alphabet. What meaning does the letter have on its own? Nothing. But obviously, when you join the letters together, what happens? You get a word. And words obviously combine with other words, and they'll make a sentence. And those sentences connected together will make a paragraph. And those paragraphs coming together will make a whole entire story. So the Bashem Tov said exactly the same thing we have to realize about ourselves. Every one of us is a letter. And every, and you're the letter. Your family is the word. And your community is a sentence. And our greater Jewish community is the paragraph. And our entire people, if you look at the entire, you know, all our history, one long, one great story. So the point is that every single one of us, you are your own letter. But you can't remain a letter on your own. You have to find meaning of your letter as it joins and combines with the words and the sentences and the paragraphs and the story of society. So in order, obviously, for your letter to contribute its part, in order for you to make a difference, you need to realize who you are. I need to realize who I am. I need to fully discover and express my identity and realize my unique contribution. But don't get stuck there. Realize you're part of a greater society, a greater community. So when I look at this letter, where the Rebbe was no longer a refugee in France. He wrote this letter in 1944 when he was already safely in New York. And he was already very involved in communal matters. He was running the institutions that his father-in-law was uh, appointed him to. And he was back in his communal mode, you could say. Not any longer as a refugee trying to escape, just worried about survival. But he still cherished the time, as we saw in the letter, as I read to you, just to go back, let me go back here to what he says. There come to light certain traits of a person's inner character as they are in their purity, undistorted by the expectations of society. So it's a moment of clarity when we can touch base with who and what we are in essence. The circumstances that create these moments may be less than ideal. But when we do find ourselves in these situations, we should not get stuck in ourselves. I think of, you know, the portion we read this week, the portion of Korach. And it starts over the words, Vayikach Korach. Korach took. We look at what's been going on during certain, in certain places, certain societies during lockdown, where people were hoarding and, and buying out the shelves and, and just thinking about themselves. That's Vayikach Korach. 
That is just worried about me, myself, and I. But we have to remember and realize that we're not just a single letter. We have to realize that we're part of a sentence, part of a word, part of a paragraph, part of a greater story. The current circumstances of that are choice. Social distancing is not something we enjoy. Maybe some do, I don't know. And it goes without saying that we would never choose any of these tragedies and the financial hardships that people are going through and the loneliness and the emotional distress that so many people are enduring. And we shouldn't undermine or underestimate that in any way. But at the same time, I think it's important that we realize and seize the opportunity within these challenging circumstances. And no, we can't go back to normal when lockdown is over. We have to go to a new normal. We have to learn from this. We have to seize the opportunity. We have to do something that helps us grow from this. This could be so liberating. A lot of the noise in our lives, all that peer pressure and, and office politics and, and putting a face on things, obviously, at present, we it's it certainly diminished and lowered. Everyone is home alone when they are, and you don't have to impress anyone. And it's an opportunity for us to really, truly discover our true selves. What do we really want to achieve in life? What's the best use that we could make of our God-given talents and abilities? Are we being true to the purpose for which we were created? Now, obviously, we don't know when things are going to go back to normal. If you heard Dr. Shub's talk, and if not, tune in on Sunday at 4.30 when he's going to, the chief rabbi is organizing a communal Zoom meeting where you'll hear from the professor, from the doctor, and you'll learn that there are, at the moment, uh, certain protocols put in place as to when we're going to get back to normal and how we're going to get back to normal and all of that. So you'll find out about that, about what normal will look like. But we know we are going to go back to normal, but don't let it be the same. Let's not just go back to being the same social creatures we were and just connecting randomly or trying to impress or show off to others. If we gain and tap into the moments and opportunities that we have now, that we realize then we're going to truly come out as better people and gaining and learning so much from this situation. And here's another letter I want to read with you, read to you, with you. And perhaps, you know, this one's a little bit longer. So let me maybe dissect it part by part. It's, it's a letter that was a response to a person who wrote to the Rebbe about his personal struggles. Now, we don't see that person's letters. So I don't know what they were. But from the Rebbe's response, you could certainly see that this person was feeling dejected and discouraged. And the Rebbe responds with a number of pointers on how a person can overcome negative thoughts and feelings, which I certainly think is something that each of us can relate to. So let me start with a letter. He says here, this is a letter from September 18, 1956. As always, we would start off, greetings and blessings. Shalom Abracha. 
says, in response to what you write regarding your state of mind. In response to what regard to what you write regarding your state of mind. Now, just to think about this, you know, very specifically, I know that when you're involved in counseling, we have to be direct and respond to the person, empathize with their feelings. Very, very important to not just sympathize, but empathize. There are realities that exist outside of a person. There are also certain internal realities within a person. Finally, there are low, there are things whose reality consists only in the way that we think about them. At first glance, it may seem that because these thoughts are real, it makes no difference what the source of the reality is. But the truth is otherwise. A person possesses the ability to evaluate their own feelings, to assess their veracity and validity. This internal evaluator influences our state of mind also when it operates behind the scenes, what is commonly referred to as the subconscious. Also, when this process is not consciously sensed, it is taking place in our minds. It is obvious that the thoughts about which you write in your letter are the third type of reality, which is more easily overcome than the other types. Furthermore, Often these thoughts and feelings will go away on their own when a person stops thinking about them, either due to external factors or when the person resolves to put them out of their mind. Certainly you know all this already, but sometimes hearing it from another person brings greater clarity. My hope is that the same will be in this instance. I'm enclosing a copy of a communal letter that I wrote for Rosh Hashanah. In it, you'll find my view in a number of points touchdown in your letter, and which are contributing factors to the thoughts and feelings a bit about which you wrote to me. There's an expression used by our sages, my serav, actual practice is most powerful. Meaning that when an action was followed in actual practice, this constitutes the strongest proof. There are many hundreds of thousands of people who were once in a state of mind such as you described and who overcame without leaving any negative mark at all, which implies that the same will eventually also be in your case. It is only that, as is customary in our world, one doesn't hear about the experiences of all these people, as these represent the normal and natural course of events, whereas the small minority of cases where this does not occur gets all the publicity. I'm just going to throw in my own parenthetical note. In general, why does bad news oftentimes make headlines? Because it's the exception. It's not the norm. So just throwing that in as I read through the letter, I'm going to unpack the letter properly after our next ad break. Let me just conclude the letter. Everything I said until now would apply if there was a need to discuss and explain these matters. However, if we are to contemplate for even just a moment the task which each and every one of us is called to fulfill in life, to illuminate the world by strengthening and spreading the way of life that follows the directives of our Torah. Torah Chaim, a Torah of life, thereby influencing our portion of the world and certainly our immediate surroundings, there remains no available time in which to indulge in thoughts about oneself of the type you write about in your letter. Granted, in the beginning, it's not easy to shift one's mental focus from thinking about oneself to thinking about one's task in God's world. But each time we do it, this shift becomes easier, especially when one does it joyously. The basis of this joy being what Maimonides writes in the end of the laws of Lulav, 
Now, by the way, this letter was written just before the high holidays, so that was relevant at that time. So I would like to unpack this letter for you and discuss its details. But first, High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. We are live right here on Chai FM. I'm Rabbi Ari Kiefman. And today being the 26th yard side of the Rebbe, I wanted to read some of the letters that the Rebbe wrote in correspondence. And I'm going to unpack the letter that we just read. It was quite a full letter and a little bit of uh, psychology within it. But after that, I hope to conclude with a nice story or two that perhaps could just share with us a little bit of the Rebbe's perspective on how to see positivity in every situation. Now, what we think and feel is generally a reaction to the reality in which we find ourselves. But the question then is, what is reality? And in this letter that I just read, the Rebbe begins by pointing out that what we call reality is actually a combination of three different things. So, let's unpack that. Number one, he talks about external realities, things that are happening outside ourselves. Right? You don't have control about what's going on outside of you. It's, you don't have control of the weather. You don't have control of other people. If there's, a, if there's um, load shedding, whatever it is, the pandemic, COVID-19, what control do you have over coronavirus shutting down our economy? These are things that are external. They're outside of ourselves. Now, of course, we could do our part. And if there's load shedding, then make sure you have your alternative electricity source available. And we could do our best by mitigating the virus, doing whatever we have to. Each of these is something that we can do. But still, at the end of the day, it's a reality that exists independent of ourselves. There's nothing we can do to stop coronavirus. We can only stop the transmission of the disease by being careful and doing what we have to do. There's no doubt about that. So that's the first part. That is external reality. The second part he addresses in this letter is internal reality. And this would include things like our own personal traits, right? We have talents, we have abilities. These realities are obviously more subjective than what's happening outside ourselves. And each of us has the ability to do what we can to change something that needs to be changed because it's within ourselves, right? So, but, but still, there are very real phenomena and sometimes you need to really work hard, very hard, to affect those changes, whatever it might be, habits and addictions. You have to work hard on yourself. But the third, re- third reality he talked about here is, is perception. And these are realities that are entirely the product of how we think about them. For example, two people could be looking at the same situation. One person sees opportunities and the other person sees dangers, pitfalls. Right? You know the famous joke they say about two salesmen who were sent to a particular place to sell hats? And one arrives and sends a message back to the company, cancel the order, nobody here wears hats. The other one says, send, ship. We have Tremendous opportunity. Nobody wears hats. It's all a matter of perspective. So the reality is that two people in the same situation can feel. One is excited and the other is anxious. They're both experiencing the same thing, but perceiving it differently. 
And this is something that we are able to change. It's within our ability. And that's what the Rebbe was writing to this person in this letter. Yes, it might seem that the source of a person's reality is irrelevant. Right? It's, it's, it's the person. That's the way they see things. What difference does it make? What type of reality is causing the person to have those feelings? But the Rebbe rejected that type of a response, that way of thinking. He says, human beings, we're not machines. Our minds are not a computer which is fed uh, a programming and this is the way it is and that's all. We have free choice. It's called the Chira Chavshis. And on the most basic level, this means that we are self-critical and we evaluate our own thoughts and feelings. I know I do. And we decide whether or not we are, you know, what our response will be to a situation. And we could change the way we respond to things. It might take a little bit of work and focus and emphasis, but we need to do that. And in the letter, the Rebbe mentioned two, there's, there's two ways of doing this. Firstly, he says, ideally, it's a conscious evaluation, which we're deliberately examining the validity of our thoughts and feelings. And that's right. You have to think, why do I feel this way? And the more we do this, the more we're living a life of conscientiousness, of self-awareness. But as we said earlier, we cannot just be absorbed in ourselves. So when we're not consciously doing this, there's an ongoing subconscious process of self-evaluation where you could perhaps say that inner jungle decides which thoughts and feelings we're going to accept and which we're going to reject. But remember, we're not just a jungle. As the Rebbe emphasized over and over, this world is a garden, God's garden. So within this letter, he points out to the person, to the correspondent who he wrote with, that you describe your feelings of dejection and despair. The Rebbe tells him, that's your perception, and he accepts and validates those realities. But that is how you're thinking of yourself. And therefore, as I read to you, these feelings, the Rebbe tells him, can be overcome. Not invalidating the feelings. Yes, you have those feelings. But if you change your perception and realize you're greater, you're better than that, you're indispensable to God's plan, God needs you here. Because we choose how we think and feel about the things we experience, we could also decide that, you know what, I'm going to reject certain thoughts, certain feelings. I'm going to change that. And that's what the Rebbe is encouraging this man. He tells him there's a simple way to rid oneself of thoughts such as the ones you describe of dejection and despair. Just stop indulging these thoughts. Negative thoughts tend to feed on and perpetuate themselves. So a great line the other day that the more we think in that perception, the more we get stuck there. But sometimes that's not the reality. The more we indulge in that, negative space, the worse it gets. And it leads to deeper depression. I'm not talking here about psychological, clinical depression. I'm just talking about that vicious cycle where we get into a state of melancholy. We just feel, we just feel uh, lugubrious, morose, downtrodden. And so the best way of dealing with that, at least according to this correspondence, the letter the Rebbe writes here, is find a better way to occupy your mind. Think of something that 
you enjoy. Think, you know, do something that, that makes a happier activity. And you'll see, if you focus on Asay Tov, if you focus on the positive, the negative will disappear. And just to get a little bit further and deeper into this letter, it's it's really powerful. He says something about the humility and sensitivity that we see here in, in the way he is advising a person. Now, very often it's difficult for us to accept advice. Now, what do they say? Advice is the only commodity with more in supply than demand. <laughs> Even when we ask for the device, for the advice, right? somebody said to me, when someone asks, this is a, a, a psychologist, he says, when people ask me for advice, I ask them, do you want me to be honest or do you want me to be brutal? <laughs> Sorry, he says, do you want me to be honest or nice? He says, the people who say be nice are the really, are the, are really the only honest ones. So when we come back, we're going to look at just the conclusion of this letter and see the humility and the sensitivity with which the Rebbe addresses this person's problem. Now, obviously, I read the letter to you. If you want, anyone wants, I'm happy to share it with you. You can find it on Chabad.org as well. But let's get back to that in a moment where we're going to review and uh, just look at that way, how we can deal with others in an empathetic and sensitive kind way. We'll be right back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Rabbi Ari Kivan. And today we were talking, um, we were ex- exploring and reviewing some correspondence of the Rebbe. Just seeing a sensitivity, a care for others, something we could really learn from a Ra'a Yisrael, from a shepherd of Israel, a faithful shepherd who really cared for every single human being, Jew and non-Jew alike. And just reading this letter, we see the sensitivity with which the Rebbe responds to this person. What, what stood out to me when reading the letter is how he tells this person, I'm not telling you anything new, right? It, it's only that there are times that we need to go through the process of verbalizing our struggles, he says to this man, to ourselves or to others by conversation or in writing and to hear what we already know and reflect it back to ourselves. There's a, an expression from our sages that when a person's going through a struggle, a challenge, a difficulty in life, they should discuss it with others. But the word yasichenu, sorry, the word yasichenu means to remove it. But another meaning is to discuss it. When you discuss it with someone else, sometimes you come to the realization yourself. That process of verbalizing it, of discussing it, helps bring that clarity to ourselves with whatever issue we're struggling with. It makes us, it helps us crystallize the idea in our own minds that we can focus better and we see in this letter the way the Rebbe tells this person, I'm telling you nothing new. I think that's truly, again, not seeing the person's letter to the Rebbe, but it's something we could all learn from. And he then refers to a communal letter that he wrote to the entire community that he's including in that letter. And, you know, the Rebbe would write a few times a year, usually before uh, the Yom Tevs, he would issue a communal letter that was addressed he would say to all the Jewish people, and it always had a message about that time of year. Each year, each festival was a new letter, and these letters would be published in many Jewish newspapers throughout the world. And that particular letter, if you go back to Rosh Hashanah 1956, as we could see from this letter, there's a, a very practical application of what I'm seeing here in this letter. 
And he talks here about how to change our perspective from one of pessimism and despair to optimism and faith. So that is, I think, what we need these days, most importantly, when people are struggling and don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, to change our perspective a little bit. And just to read that letter to you, we have don't have very much time, so I'm going to try to summarize it. But he says here that we often look at the good and bad in ourselves and in the world as a whole as competing forces. Sometimes the good seems to outweigh the bad, and sometimes the bad seems to outweigh the good. And when that's the case, it leads to feelings of despair, of discouragement. But he says that's not the way, that's not the right approach. He says there's one equivalency between the good and the bad. Sorry, there's no equivalency, excuse me. There's absolutely nothing in common. The good in ourselves and the and our world is divine. It's an expression of the infinite goodness of Hashem. And it's therefore eternal and indestructible. The bad is only a temporary concealment of the essential goodness of God's creation. A beautiful metaphor I heard the Rebbe once share with someone in a meeting. Well, he said, the room is dark, the light's off. Does that mean the furniture and the paintings and all the other things in this room are gone? No. So even when we're going through a difficult moment, there's still so much good. And all that good, we have to realize, endures forever. The bad is reversible. We could change it. So the good will always be more powerful and more significant and will ultimately triumph. So just concluding this letter, he points... The Rebbe raises a point, which is a very common theme in many of his correspondence. And, you know, it's, it's an all too common fact of human nature that we tend to focus on the negative. How many times you look at a, a clean white sheet of paper and all you notice is the speck of dust in it. So when we realize that we shouldn't be focusing on the negative, right? In, in, in a city where millions of people um, make it home safely every night. Thank God you look here, and yet, what do we hear reported in the news? We hear about the hijacking. We hear about the robbery. Yes, those incidents are bad. But those are rare, and that's why they make the headlines. The one plane crash gets more attention than tens of thousands of flights that land safely. And this obviously creates a false impression of how bad any situation is. Psychologists and sociologists call this negativity bias. And th- there's a simple explanation for it because that's the way our minds are. We get caught up in the negative. And the red focused on positivity bias, where we have to look at the actual facts. We're not talking about anything spiritual. You'll realize there's so much more good in this world than the negative. When we're experiencing any negative, when we're going through negativity on our minds, when there's suffering, God forbid, then yes, there is. It's true. It's part of reality. But we have to also look at the bigger picture. And if we realize that our situation is reversible, even when we're going through the darkness with the negativity, then that itself could be an impetus for us to gain strength and to realize that there's a much better future. So we, we have to, for the people around us, for all those around us, 
let's try to diminish. Let's try to to slow down that negativity bias because we realize, yes, there are lots of people who aren't feeling great, but let's try to infuse a little bit of positivity into themselves, into ourselves, into the world around us. And if we could just take one little message from the Rebbe's teachings today on his yard site, we'll realize the Rebbe tried to infuse the world with joy, with happiness. Let us do the same for all those around us and his merit on this day. Wishing you all a pleasant day, a wonderful Shabbos, and look forward to being in touch with you. Please, God, we'll see you right back here next week. Same time, same place, right here on Soul to Soul 101.9 High FM.